Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Thank you so much. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'd like to begin this journey with a question. What's what is that? poetry? <laughs> what is poetry? What is after poetry means many things to different people, but for me as a poet, it is an art form. Tell me more. Um, and edit a poem. Okay. Uh, I think of all the training I had when I was learning to be an artist. For example, um, I think about color. I think about line. I think about shape. So for me, when I use a vowel, a vowel is it flows like a stream, and that is like a line, whereas a consonant is like a shape. And then a consonant blend is more like a textured shape. So I want to have a lot of line in there and not too many blocky shapes so that my poem will flow. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you. That's fascinating. I'm looking forward to hearing your work in terms of being able to listen to the vowels and the consonants as they arise in your work. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank Why you so much. Poetry? It really helps. Yes, I'm sure it does. Why is poetry important? Well, I think poetry is important because it kind of it takes a photograph of the poet in the decade they're, they're writing it or the year they're writing it, during the time and all the events, during what feelings and thoughts those events caused the poet to have, or maybe they're writing about their past, their childhood, so that's another time. And it, and it just records for future generations and also for current generations who want to read the poem uh, what is going on, or what went on back then when the poet wrote the poem? You know, it's funny. I, I'm listening to you, and it's almost like I'm, I'm learning about poetry for the very first time. I've never heard it described as like a photograph. Now, that's, wow. I, and you're right. It is. It's like a photograph of a period of time, past or present, or potentially future. It's also like a photograph of the poet's feelings or the poet's philosophy about something. Well, what are some of the predominant themes of your work? Well, I do like kind of an ironic humor. So even when I'm writing about grieving, I lost my mother and my sister in the last few years they both died Mm -hmm. within a year of each other 
So I really okay. was grieving and uh and even when I write about the death and the grieving, um, there is a little tiny bit of humor in it. And I I think the humor just helps me deal with it. Yes, I understand. Please share a poem. Okay. Since I just talked about my sister dying, I could read a poem about the time the the few days before she died and up to the time she died. This is called Green Potato. It was published in Galway Review, which is in Ireland. Green Potato. Behind our laundry door, we store an ironing board. The TV trays club sandwiched on a rolling stand. On the laundry room shelf, cans of beefy mushroom soup. Potatoes stacked with onions pass for shaven heads. I magic mark the wall until I rubber glove your death. Like a middle school frog, your body spread. You still kazoo through slats in our heater vent. Skin dive the molecules of phosphorescent ghosts. I recall hallucinations in my leotard of dreams when your fevered braided knots crimpled too tight and snails along brick borders left slimy invitations. Your heart would smithereen when you collapsed on it. Houndstooth pajamas stacked in hospital drawers, the giant box of insulin took up the floor. I slept through till morning on a Nagahide chair. If anyone brought nightshade, they couldn't leave it there while your throat blew bubbly chemtrails of less and less air. I shoveled by your side until the powdery blue end before you opened flamed in oblivion. Thank you. Mm. How does a poem begin for you, with an idea, a form, or an image? They begin in all different ways. Sometimes they're a dream that I'm having right before I wake up and I run to the computer. I get out of bed and I run and I write down as much as I can remember right away. Or sometimes I mull over the dream and then write it even later, like a few hours later but usually I run to the computer. Um, another way is I'll just be sitting there and suddenly three or four lines of poetry come in my head from nowhere. I hurry and write it down. Other times I've, I've really struggled and written a poem and it isn't any good, but there's a line in there and it helps me to write a poem. And there's all different other ways. I mean, I could... I could sit here and go on and on about all the ways I write poems. All right. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Well, I really like Colette, who wrote Claudine in Paris. Yes, yes. And uh, the Claudine series, and two of her books really influenced me, Claudine in Paris and Claudine at 
what about those two works influenced you? What what stood out? She uses a lot of imagery that's that you wouldn't expect, and it's very French, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's during the early, I think it's the either the around the 1900s or right before the 1900s, and it's like a different world. So what I like to do is take some of her images and think about them and think about them, and then they kind of influence what I write sometimes. I also really like Truman Capote. Any one of his works in particular? The Grass Harp. The Grass Harp, okay. The Grass Harp, beautiful work. Well, let me ask this question. Let's go back for a moment. Back in the past, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language and prose had power? I wrote a poem when I was eight or maybe six. I think I was probably six. Do you want to hear it? Yes, I'd love to. (laughs) It's very short. (laughs) The dog and the pig did like to dig, but then the pig didn't want to dig, so they parted the dog and the pig. Thank you. That is so deep. <laughs> my my sister was Boy. amazed by that poem. <laughs> that really is deep. I'm I'm not lying. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's one of the questions of the ages. Just like why did the chicken cross the road? Why did the dog? <laughs> I want to stop digging. <laughs> So the now, reason I wrote call- that poem, the reason I wrote that poem was I used to go to my cousin's house and all he wanted to do was dig holes in the dirt, and I thought it was so boring, so I would go ride his bike instead. <laughs> <laughs> do you come from a literary background? Yes, my um, my family back four generations was. My grand, my great grandfather started a cult in Wisconsin, and it was a jumping cult. And they would jump in order to worship God. They would jump up and down, and they had a, a magazine that they printed. And so my grandfather learned how to print when he was part of the cult, and then the cult didn't work out. So. My grandpa and his wife and my grandmother, who I never knew because she died before I was born, they went to Chicago, and he was working for printing businesses, and then he came out here to California, and his aunts helped him start a printing company, and my dad ran it in my whole life, you know, and long before that, my dad was running it, and then when my dad died, my husband and I took took over it and we ran it for 12 years and and uh, so yeah that really influenced me and my dad used to bring me all these books home from the library when I was little and we had lots of books in our house and we read every we read a lot because my dad wouldn't get us a television oh, wow <laughs> so you had to read <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so I would read a lot Okay. <laughs> Please share another poem with us. 
Okay. I'm going to share a poem called After an Old Town. This was published in Rye Whiskey Review. After an old town wild turkey binge, lost in the shock absorber of my brain, I pedaled home from the blind donkey bar, astride my bike, waving goodbye to my friends, driving by in the nearest one-way lane. Then I crashed into a trash can before spinning overhead, landed with my temple on the Green Street curb, my portside ear no longer heard. Splayed peanut bold, I was tossed by handlebars beside the debris of jacaranda leaves where the bittersweet gutter flowed beneath my jaw. I had a concussion. Friends threw me in their car. Curled like an ear, I grimaced under stars on the scuffed leather seat over stone-deaf rocks of sweet vermouth sleep. Wind tunnel spokes in a Pasadena sky where my hearing was timpanied by too much bar hopping. I woke in the morning, texted my mom. She came and carted me to emergency in the shotgun of her SUV. My bicycle a pretzel, Granny nodded to a pole. Wow. You know, I liked what you shared about the vowels and consonants. I really, that's really just in my brain right now. When you think about a poem, what are some of the prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction we call a poem? Well, it depends on the poem because like this after an old town that I just read, Yes. I I had to write that poem for Rye Whiskey Review. So, well, I wanted to. So I had to put something to do with liquor in the poem. And I don't drink very much liquor at all because I am I get drunk so fast. You would not believe it. And then I fall asleep and I get a headache when I wake okay. up. <laughs> so... Um, the way I wrote about this poem is I know somebody that this happened to, and and I knew that I wanted to make it like hard liquor and cocktails, and so like the debris of jacaranda leaves where the bittersweet gutter flowed beneath my jaw. That almost sounds like mm-hmm. you're mixing a drink, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. And then... Um, over stone-deaf rocks of sweet vermouth sleep. That's like the ice in the vermouth. But it's because suddenly he was deafened when he had the bicycle accident. And then I made the bicycle a pretzel. Granny nodded to a Mm -hmm. pole because Mm -hmm. when you go in a bar... Often they're little snacks. Like you could yes. you could have pretzels maybe in yes. a little bowl. So the mm-hmm. way I, I do this, well, in addition to the line and the shapes and other things I do that have to do with my background as an artist and a designer, 
But the way I came up with these um, liquor and, like, cocktail kind of things is I do a whole bunch of research. I go on Wikipedia. I go on the Internet. I read. I mean, I'm not one that goes to bars. So I read all about how to make cocktails, and I read about different kinds of liquor and different kinds of liqueur, and and then I think about the incident. I think about all the different aspects, and I... And I write kind of a bad poem, you know. <laughs> I start with writing kind of a bad poem. And I say to myself, if this is bad, it's okay. It's a start. Go ahead and write a bad poem. It doesn't matter. Just write what happened. So I do, and then I go back because this poem didn't come out easily. This poem took mm. probably at least a month or two to write, or at least several weeks. So... Then, once I had the story, I went back and I started adding words and adding images and just working, working, working on it. I probably did a lot of work on it in the morning and really late at night because I, I think I wrote this, I'm not sure when I wrote it, but it might have been toward the beginning of COVID, but it might have been the year before covid uh, I should put dates on my poems, but I never am totally done with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I'm probably done with this one. I don't know. So anyway, I just work and work on it. And I always say to myself, I can keep it the way it was and I can copy and paste it and put and put it on my page on the computer and I'll still have the old one and I could mess with it. I call it messing with it because I had a teacher at art school that would call like working on your art messing with it. And and I mess with it. And sometimes I don't like what I did so I go back and I look at the old poem and I go, oh, I like that better and so I put it back the way it was in, in a certain line. And then that might morph into something else later, like a a week later. That might change. And then I have a group that I started, and not with this poem, but lately I've been working with them once a week, and we all read our poems to each other and we help each other. And that's been great. Wow. You know, it's funny. You've answered many of my questions. I mean, this is going to be a short interview. You've answered many of my questions because one of my questions dealt with the fact that many poets claim that a poem is like a living creature, that once it's out there, there's not nothing else you can do to correct it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. And I was going to ask you, what was your take on that? And it sounds like you've answered that, that you mess with it. Well, some of my poems come out. Just in, They come out like a capsule, they, and I barely, barely have to edit that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I could read one of those. You want me to read one of those? I'd love for you to. Yes, please. Okay. This one came out in like 10 minutes or less, and it is in San Pedro River Review, and it came out in fall 2019. It's called, If You Want an Ice Cream Sunday. If you want an ice cream Sunday, you must attend church. For the seven hymns you'll sing, you'll get French vanilla bean. 
If you listen to the sermon, you'll earn extra whipped cream. For every time I don't nudge, I'll add a dollop of fudge. Bow your head for the Virgin Mary. You'll deserve a second cherry. If you don't go to church, you'll have to stay home. There's a heel of Wonder Bread in the refrigerator bin. A rotting banana you can peel in the manana. And a rancid hot dog in the meat and cheese drawer. All it takes is this. You'll have to take a shower, use shampoo and conditioner, wake up early, don't stay out late, pantyhose, be sure to wear a slip underneath your skirt with no slit. The only makeup you'll need is a little lipstick. Add the necklace with a pearl I gave you last Christmas and the cashmere sweater set that matches your eyes. When we arrive at church, smile demure smiles. Look down at your lap to emphasize your lashes. If you also want some lunch, you'll have to join the choir. Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you. I remember hearing that poem when I first met you several months ago oh. with Bill Cushing and his group, and it stuck with me then, yes. and I see you are. <laughs> you read that piece. <laughs> My second yes. question that I was planning to ask was if you belong to a writing group, and you said that you do. How long has the group been I formed? do. I started it. You it started, started it. Oh, wow. Tell me about your group. Yeah. Well, we keep our group small because we want everybody to get lots of attention. So we only have about four or five people. We have a retired professor, um, Ulrika Bell Perkins. We have Bill Cushing, and Mm -hmm. he... He, you know, you know him. He does a lot of poets. He has a lot of groups and yes. with short story writers, and and he's published a lot. And he's been a a professor, like a, a teacher in a college, I believe it was in Florida. And then we have James Coates, who is a wonderful poet, and I did tell you about him. And yes. then we did have Celia Drill for a while, who's just amazing, such a good poet. And Alicia, let's see, what's Alicia Viger Esper. She's from mm-hmm. Spain, and she writes mm-hmm. beautifully, too. And then we have wow. one more. Uh, they don't always come. Like, Celia doesn't usually come. So we keep it down to five. Um or six, and maybe at the very most. Okay, so then the last one is Melinda Longton. And the beauty of a Zoom meeting is you can have people from all over the country. So she's living in Boston, and she's able to join us. Mm. That's very nice. And she writes very well. Well, what have you learned about yourself by being in this group? What have you learned? Well, I've learned so much from Ricky and Bill. Uh, from Ricky, 
Ricky said, sometimes I get so excited about the imagery and all the embellishment that I lose track of the basic message my poem is saying. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it really, I would say, it becomes like a bowl of spaghetti and nobody can understand it. Yes. And it's just a big mess. <laughs> and nobody wants <laughs> to listen to it. Uh, and then um, she taught me how to write the story down every time. Always write down what I'm trying to say, because I usually write a story. So yes. write it down and then play with it. It's kind of like making the dress before you start sewing on the little sequins and decorations, because if you're doing that, okay. it's just on air. If you don't make the dress first, you'd just be sewing on air, and then when you walk away, it all falls down. Mm-hmm. And then Bill, he he's amazing. I learned so much just from reading his poems and hearing him read them out loud. Uh, his poems have a lot of imagery. They, I would say they have a lot of thrust. And they're way more logical than my poems, I think, because my poems are more... Um, I would call them very intuitive. Yes. They're they're yeah. Well, they've got a lot of imagery and and they combine things that don't usually go together. Like the green potato and the shaven head and everything. Um <laughs> that I read earlier. <laughs> so, uh Bill Bill makes he really makes more sense, but like he he does things in in like a big move like He'll explain something that you wouldn't have thought of, and then by the end you're like, "Oh wow!" Because he used to be in the Navy, and I yes, read he, he read a poem to us, and I didn't know anything about being in the Navy. And after he read his poem, I I knew a lot more than I did before. He talked about mm. the men working in the very bottom of the ship, and all the noise, and all the equipment, and how it's so dangerous, and how everything they did caused the ship to go through the water and he compared the room where they were working to the underworld and then at the end and to Hades and then at the end he talked about the world of Poseidon so that was an interesting um, it's interesting the way he went from one to the other because one is so so dark and hot and scary Mm -hmm. and the other is more free and blue and you can see the sky Wow. Sounds like you're in a fascinating group of people. It is great. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Okay.
I'm here with the wonderful Chuka Susan Chesney. Please share another poem with us. Okay. I promised my friend Toby Alfier, who is a really amazing poet and one of the editors of San Pedro River Review, um, that I would read our poem that we collaborated on, and it was published in the Galway Review out of Ireland. It's a poem about my nanny, Estella, and her padded bra. Nanny Estella's Padded Bra I knew they were Miss Ehas as soon as I cradled her Cuernavacan breasts like huevos in a spoon. I was to give glamour to me Estella, an underclothing arched eyebrow, perfect eyeliner, Billy Holiday magnolia, or opals on the ring of a Talavera fountain. The tenant of flesh de mi jovencita, while she cuddled her smallest charge, little doll baby needing much warmth and comfort from her running and running family, climbing into the single bed each morning. Estella's pupusas no longer bare under flannel, now kittened in my cupfuls, padded curly cues, transform her A cups into steeples. I'm her brassiere that snuggles and instructs, as she instructs her little family, fairy niños. She bought me with her salary. She babysits. Ten dollars a week is enough to send home and save up for small things like me, all stitched lovely, a rainbow Mobius strip that makes her walk taller and talk bubbly, her fingers going round and round the circles. Sometimes she nestles my lace in the cavern of her drawer. No iglesia for my intentions, says the madre de familia, and I must lie there, all bored, while me Estella wears the madre's rotted cotton that's better for God, so she says. But when I'm awake, I can tata lady luck. My feather-bedded geysers traffic cone her chest. I string her chichis high like matching astropops suspended on the catwalk of scaffolding, her shoulders also pulled back and daring. We ascend switch black cielo to the stratosphere until Mia Stella went to another fairy family so she could go to school, but the man had fingertips looking for romance and cooing. El primero, his nasty pointers stitched around each nipple to coax them into tops that tandemly rocketed her Vesuvius future. No bueno to the bad men. Come back to doll baby. Sophia's shaded eyes on me, Nanny Estella. I am the doll baby. I watch as she capsizes La Luna with orgasmic jackpots. Dios mío, I love her espedad. I love her bra, a small planet in the galaxy. I want to be either of them, glorious lacy on the underneath and a glacious sweet smile on the whole unicorn outside. Thank you. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's about my nanny. Wow. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Yeah, but it's really confusing because I'm also an artist. 
Yes, so that was my next question. When I do, mm-hmm. yeah, when I'm writing my poems, I feel guilty that I'm not doing my art. Okay, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me why. Because I always thought of myself as an artist, and i got to tell you something. My mom told me when I was young, I was about seven or eight, that my sister was the writer of the family, and she was the poet, and she was the one to write the stories, and that I couldn't be a writer too. And then I said, well, I'm an artist, and she said, no, you can't be an artist because your cousin Jean is the artist of the family. And I thought, screw that. <laughs> and I, and I was like, your mom okay. was tough. Your mom was tough. My mom had issues, so I thought, um, okay, I won't do the writing to please you and sister, but I'm going to be an artist. I don't care about my cousin being an artist. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, what does being creative mean to you? Being creative, I would say, means listening to the inner child inside of me. Okay. And when the inner child is ready to express itself, to be sensitive enough to know that it's time to go do that. Mm. What's the best advice that... Well, please, please continue. I'm excited about this. What's, please continue. <laughs> oh, I just to let the, the inner child have a space to go ex- and and materials to go express itself or herself or himself. Well, you know, this is a call-in show, and someone is called in to talk to you. Oh, okay. All right, hold on one second. All right. Area code 626, the first three numbers are 808. You're on the air with Chuka. Hello? 626? Hello? Well, maybe they're just here to listen. All right. Well, my next question, I, and I interrupted you, I'm so sorry, but I'm so That's excited right. about this whole creativity piece. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given about being creative? Um, the best piece of advice. Well, I have to tell you, I had this teacher at my art school named Mark Strickland, and he got me to really start looking at what I was trying to draw instead of making things up all the time. And uh, he taught me contour drawing. So... Mm -hmm. When I, when I really started working on my poetry, I thought, and this is a struggle where I've gone back and forth and back and forth. Like Orika, I was saying earlier that the, Orika, the professor with the Ph.D., helped me to remember to, to get the basic story down before I do all the extra things. So the extra things are kind of making things up, but the basic mm-hmm. stories, like the contour drawing, right? And mm-hmm. so... I what I do is like if I'm if I'm writing a poem and here's the one let's see I want to talk about the potato one okay the All green right. potato 
Okay, mm-hmm. so let's say I'm writing about the my sister. This is about when my sister died. So I can't just talk about green potatoes and onions and the middle school frog. I've got to get in there the part about how she lay in the bed and then she got sicker and sicker and sicker. And then there was a giant box of insulin on the floor. So there are facts in with the embellishments. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So so in order to be creative, I can't I can't just like be be completely creative and nothing else. There's got to be some structure in there, I think. I can see you standing in front of a group teaching. I'm a retired professor myself and I could see taking a class from you. In terms oh, of how I, I have an I have a master's in teaching from Occidental Ooh. College. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and I had to teach well, myself. There's someone else who would like to speak to you. We've got another caller. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. All right. Area code eight one eight. The first three numbers are three nine five. You're on the air. Hi there. I'd be interested to hear more uh, about your creative process with the blocks and squiggles and how that that and, and the consonants and vowels and how that relates to your visual art. That is a beautiful okay. question. Chuka, you're on the air. Okay. Um, so let's take let's just take a poem. Let's take after an old town that I wrote earlier, and let's read. Um, okay, I love this part. My port side ear no longer heard, splayed peanut bold. I was tossed by handlebars beside the debris of jacaranda leaves, where the bittersweet gutter flowed beneath my jaw. Okay, so my port side ear no longer heard. So my has um, a long I, and ear has a long E that goes into an R. And longer, or you hear that? So all that, my and ear and er are the skinny lines that holds that together. Whereas port side, that's a complicated word. That's got the R-T, port side. I mean, it does have a long I, but it's complicated. And then no longer heard. Splayed. Now, splayed starts out with spl, so that's complicated, very textured. But aid, A-Y-E-D, that's like a line. So it's, it's almost like thread. When you sew, you sew through material. And then you pull it, and then you make another stitch. So the consonants and those really complicated consonants are like the material and the thread. It's the ear, er, herd. And uh, I've got the ear, the er, and the herd. So that's all vowels being influenced by R. Um, And it almost becomes like a bike riding along. Now, did you create this method? I don't. I think I was really influenced by my son because he told me that he heard this professor talking about 
vowels and how vowels mm-hmm. can have different moods, like um, the sound I can be really happy, the sound uh can be really sad in a poem. The idea of the the vowels being like a line, that's my idea. And, the, of course, you know, somebody else might have thought of it. It seems like when I think of something, somebody else might have already thought of it. And and then the really thick, dense consonants being like a rectangle or a square. Uh, I thought of that. I also wow, think that's... of different words as being male or female. I think of them as being different colors. Um, they make different sounds, like... Like the word um, port side, okay, it makes the sound port side. But it, for me, it also almost sounds like waves crashing or you hear a whistle from the boat. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's like, eh, and so even though all you hear is port side, it brings up that. And I also see the image of a ship. So I'm also thinking about images that are in my mind while I'm writing and trying to get them to all go together. You can think of a poem in all different ways. You can think of it in a visual way for a while. Yes. Well, let me ask this question. I mean, does writing, because to be quite honest with you, that sounds hard. (laughs) That sounds really hard to do. Does writing energize or exhaust you? I would say it does both. Okay. Sometimes Tell me when more. I and art and art too, um, they energize me because I get I get so excited. It's like I've created something and I like it. But often I write and write and it's just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and but I think well maybe something will come of this later, you know. And then I and then I think back to poems that I really like that I've written and I so I say well I'm really excited about that poem. You know, if I've written something mm-hmm. awful, um, mm-hmm. I say maybe in the morning this will turn. I'll wake up in the morning. I'll look at it with fresh eyes, and maybe I can do something with it. Um, but if I write and write for like three or four hours, and I'm editing, and it's late at night because sometimes I'll stay up till two doing it, then yeah, I'm really tired. But I'm also yes. somewhere inside of me, I'm energized. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, please share another poem. Okay, would you like to hear a poem that has some bad words in it? I'd love it. I'd love it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You were a pie, so we ate you. This poem was in an art show in South Central L.A. a couple of years ago. I didn't get a chance to go to the art show, but it was on the wall with a bunch of art. You were a pie, so we ate you. You were pretty and smiled, poofed up hair like lemon chiffon, red delicious lips. So we grabbed you and we shoved half-broken pills up your colon. We took your streets and filled them full of drugs. We hired thugs from the police force to stick a needle right into your armpit so it wouldn't show. Then Mr. America, Cape Cod eyes, looked and his eyes said, It's time. It's time for Pumpkin Pie Man to come and wave his hands around like a pretzel 
like people do on the shopping channel, pointing to this in the air and that. Let's make America great again. I'm the only one who can do it, he says. With my penis, I will shove a syringe of glibness into your rib underneath your breast. I will break your skulls with a snap. I will crack the arm of Lady Liberty. The torch will turn into a needle and pump phenobarbital into your heart like a gas pump, like a tube of frosting riding pussy across the sky. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. Chuka. You had bad words in that poem. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, it brings up a question. You know, everything brings up a question for me. You know, so much is happening in the world, and we've gone through a lot. The pandemic, you name it, we've gone through it. Oh, yeah. What do you think is the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, a poet would have a bunch of roles. Okay. Some yeah. poets... Some poets inspire people to do something good, like um, Edna St. Vincent Millay in Recuerdo. Mm -hmm. You know that poem? No, I don't. Tell me more. Tell me about it. Okay. She wrote this poem about these people, this couple that was in love, and they were going back and forth on the ferry all night. And they, they had bought some apples and some pears, and... And they just were so happy, even though the subway, not the subway, the ferry, it smelled like animals because they used to have animals on the ferry back then. And even, I mean, imagine going back and forth to, between Staten Island and New York City all night just to be have be alone, be together. Um, so they were so incredibly in love that when they got off the ferry, they they had to share their love with somebody else. And there was this poor old lady, very old, and it you know it was during the depression, and she was obviously very poor, so they gave her they bought one of her newspapers and they gave her all their apples and pears that they had left after they each had had one, and they gave her all their money except for their subway fares so that was very inspiring during the depression. Because it helps when when you read that, it just warms your heart. It makes you want to do something nice for somebody. So, like, one thing a poet can do during this time is to write something that helps people to think of someone else besides themselves. Because, you know, we've all been cooped up with just either alone or with a few other people or one other person. And it's hard to think about other people because we're not used to it. But it, it's time to think about other people because, you know, if, if we've had a vaccine or if we keep the mask over our face and we have the vaccine or we don't have the vaccine, but at least we're, we're safe, uh, we can go do something nice for somebody else or give somebody something. And, I mean, that's just one example. Or else, like, you could write a poem to help a person deal with with what's happened in their own in their own self, and not even thinking about somebody else, or even as a country, we need to think about other countries. Like I yes, like the so way true. we're 
sending vaccines to other countries, not just thinking of ourselves. So yes. I think poets can do all kinds of good just by writing their poems and by sharing them. Even if you only share it with one person, it might affect that person. It's true. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Okay. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Chuka, Susan Chesney. I feel like I've found a new teacher. I've learned so <laughs> much tonight. <laughs> I really have. I really have. Please share another poem. Oh, that's good. Yes. Okay. Do we have very much time? Because I could read my little tiny flash fiction story that's just a little over a page. Yes, of course or we have time. Please, please read. share. Okay. No, please. Just, because please, I also your write fiction. little stories. Okay. okay. Wonderful. So this is kind of about, this is inspired by my brother, Tim. It was published in Inklet. It's called Kemp. I have been living in my body for many years, and it has changed. Many girls my age use tweezers and a razor, but I let my hair grow. When I'm in the bathroom, I take a shower, look in the mirror, see the strays that nest beneath the wingspan of my eyebrows. I let them be wild as beasts beside our backyard creek. I seldom ask for money to go to the drugstore. All I need is deodorant, a little shampoo and conditioner. My father says, just use soap. Tried that once. There were bits of soap in my hair that didn't come out. I walk into my bedroom. Because so little of my time is spent grooming, instead, I use my fingers to draw and paint late at night. There is no TV. My brother is gone. He stole a credit card and went to Thailand. There is peace in the house. Then one night, my brother comes home. There's a mildewed backpack and sleeping bag by the front door where he walked in. He's in the bathroom. Unlike me, he loves to shave and pluck the hairs on his body. He's hairy because my mother struggled with infertility for three years. She took a lot of testosterone right before she got pregnant with him. He's in our bathroom for two hours. When I have to go, I use my parents' toilet. When he comes out, the counter is covered with dark hair. The razor on the sink is full. I look in the tub. 
There's a ring and pubic hairs on the porcelain. Clean it up, my mother tells me. It is good practice for when you get married. My brother shaves his cheeks above his beard. He shaves his upper arms, his back, and who knows where else. He plucks his eyebrows because he wants to be a model. When he's not shaving and king and treasing, he cooks mussels in the kitchen. He leaves a mess. After he eats, he drives off in his dented sports car. He will turn up again like a bad penny, my father says. My brother says his brakes went out when he calls us from the ER with a broken jaw. The car flew down the hill and wrapped around a traffic pole. My father picks him up at 2 a.m. My mother blends oxtail soup for him in the blender. When his jaw is healed, he steals a credit card again. Now, that's a powerful Thank story. Thank you. It's a very powerful story. Do you prefer writing short stories over over poetry, or is it's a mix of it? Oh, I like doing both. I think, for me, the poetry sneaks into the short story. So I think of my short stories as being like story poems. Okay, okay, all right, all right. What do you hope that readers get from encountering your work? If I was reading a Chuka Susan Chesney poem, what would you want me to, to pick up or to notice? I guess I'd want you to be able to deal with things in life, with humor, with mm-hmm. uh with a fresh look at them, with a, the way a child looks at things. Mm. Um, maybe I really love jazz, and I listen to jazz a lot, and I think that jazz, even though it's really sad and bittersweet, it, yes. it makes me happy. It makes me more happy than happy music would make me happy because... Okay. It understands the sadness that I feel, and 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 so then I feel like something understands, and then I perk back up again, you know, with that knowledge. Whereas if I just listen to something really happy, well, they don't understand where I am, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yes, my poems have a a sad feeling, but they're funny. I think a lot of them are funny. Yes. I pick up whimsy in your poems. I love whimsy. Yeah, they're whimsical to me. Not all of them, but some of the ones I've heard tonight, there's some whimsy involved. Please share one more. We've got time for one more. Okay. This poem is called My Last Meal, and it was published in Claudius Speaks, 2017. All alone, and I'm going to die. They're going to make me die. I'm here on death row. I planned to kill my husband. I was like a blind slug in the ground. I didn't see what the plan would be, and then he was dead. 
It's been 19 years, and I'm sorry for what I've done. Sometimes I cry. I carry an old Kleenex around with me in my pocket. But they're going to kill me later on tonight after midnight, so I'm having my last meal. Two double Whoppers with cheese, two large fries, a lemonade and cherry vanilla ice cream, buttermilk and cornbread like my Nana used to make in the skillet, wearing that old apron she sewed up way back in the 40s, and I'm going to have a salad because I know it's good for me even though I'm going to die. I think about that old tire I used to roll around in when I was just a child, a spinning, a spinning. I'd be stuck inside it, a spinning through the grass, well, soon I'll be stuck in the death room bed, waiting, waiting. When they stick me with that needle, everybody watching through the window, bless you all. Amazing grace. Amen. Oh, so powerful. Thank you. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write, Juka? Because okay, short stories of poetry, because you love it. Tell me a little bit more. Okay. Um, well, most of my writing is about stuff that's happened to me or stuff that's happened to other people. Mm-hmm. That's been, a lot of it has been kind of difficult. And I just, I like to preserve those memories so that people know that not everything is great for everybody. And uh, and if somebody has been through something difficult, they can read what I wrote and see that they're not alone. Yes. And then I, I write because I like to put the images together and do the, and I love doing that thing with the vowels and the consonants <laughs> with the shapes. And, and mm-hmm. I love the colors of the words and the, the way they're male and female. And um, it's kind of just like, Playing with clay or something. It's yes. It's just that's it's soothing for me. It's adventuresome. I like doing the research. I like to see what I can make. Wow! I want to see what's how it next? turns out. Well, what's next for you creatively? Where do you go from here? From tonight, where do you go? Well, I'm really, really excited because three of my poems just got accepted to a literary journal called Between These Shores, and it comes out of Scotland. I don't know if it's in their anniversary issue and they're going to feature me. And I don't know how good that literary journal is. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But I'm Mm -hmm. so excited. I mean, I don't live in Scotland or England. so I just found them on a list, and I I submit all the time. So I submitted, and they wrote the nicest things to me, and they said my poems are so unique. And that encourages me to write more. I just want to write more, yes. and I want to keep. I, I paint Marilyn Monroe over and over and over, and I okay. just want to make some. I've I've made her about uh, at least 150 times. I want to make some more. <laughs> I want wow. to make some more paintings of her. It's so fun. You are an outstanding guest, and I want to thank you oh. so much for spending time with me tonight. I've learned so much, 
and I'm full, to be quite honest, of just everything that you've shared. It's just been an, an incredible experience for me. Thank you so much, Shuka. Oh, thank you for inviting me to be on. I really, really appreciate it, Michael. Yes. Well, what I'd like to say to everyone listening, look up Chuka Susan Chesney. <laughs> She's incredible. And to everyone, good night. Be safe out there. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.